This is the Betting on Zero podcast, inspired by the award-winning 2016 financial documentary Betting on Zero, with hosts Burke Koontz and John Fickthorn. Recording. Hello. Okay. Hey, there's John Fickthorn. Hey. How you doing, Burke? I'm doing well. Tierman. This is Burke Koontz. We're here with Matt Tiermond. Um, you know, uh, Matt. Welcome to the show. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, so... I guess we can just kind of dive right in. Uh, our typical uh, format is we have no format. We talk about things that are, are tangentially related to markets, uh, truth seekers, and whatever pops into our heads at the moment. And uh, and we've got Matt on here because uh, Matt has a background in seeking truth and uh, you know sometimes in markets in markets and, all, and it all kind that of good check, stuff. checks a lot of boxes. So um, yeah. Anyway, um, sorry about your rough trip, Matt. Uh, for those of you who don't know, <laughs> tell, tell us how you're. We were supposed to do this last week. <laughs> we are, well, right, right. We were supposed okay. to do this last week, but uh, he was attacked by a meth head in Virginia. Is that, is that basically what happened? <laughs> I was burgled. <laughs> you were burgled. <laughs> burgled in a Hampton Inn and gave chase, I think. Right. The way Let me you tell you, I'm it. wearing uh, my, replacement, uh, my replacement attire is this uh, Walmart flannel for 12 bucks. It's actually pretty good. I'm, I'm getting to feel pretty, uh, pretty at home. 12 bucks. 12 bucks. I have never been burgled by a meth head. I'm going to knock on wood and say that. You know, I, I really did think when you told me the story, I was like, I wonder if he you know, has given proper consideration as to who that might have been. Maybe that was just a pretend method because no, this was Matt's here has been in the news a lot lately. So, yeah. you know, I've been afraid for my life as a short seller. I've been afraid for my life doing betting on zero. So I don't take that stuff lightly. Uh, no, me neither. Know. I'm involved in a lot of stuff, as you know, but, uh, you know, and I wear a tinfoil hat as much as the rest of us, but this one is truly a random act. And I usually do see the conspiracy. This one, not so much. So. <laughs> so we can now say definitively, not everything is a conspiracy theory, according to Matt. So when we go yep. through the rest of this podcast, <laughs> exactly. you will now know that not everything is a conspiracy <laughs> theory. That's, that's an important baseline. That's an important baseline. That's yeah, exactly. Credibility inducement. Right, right. <laughs> so, so Matt, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, you know, what you've been up to the last Several years, I know. Um, well, first, right. how do you guys know each other originally, you, you, you and John? Uh, so oh, how, Maven. how do we? Uh, Maven. Maven, yeah. Yeah, Matt was helping to build our political network. Uh, yeah. He came in, and and so you know he's really very connected to the internet world of political writers, and that's really what Maven's beginning was. It was going to be a free speech platform that had lefties and righties in one spot, so they could kind of yell at each other and really kind of build a communication portal for, for both the extremes, right? Yeah. And and the world is, because the world needs that, and it yeah. still does need that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and unmolested, and I was kind of the right-wing sleeper cell. Uh, I was a Wall, I have a Wall Street background. Uh, John and I know a lot of the same people and had moved in similar circles as, uh, as traders and portfolio managers. Mm-hmm. I worked at a few funds for... Uh, the better part of my uh, 20s and into, into my early 30s before I uh, left in 2011 because I got fed up as a fundamental analyst trader PM and stock picker with the correlations and the uh, intervention mm-hmm. in markets. And so I kind of joined the public policy and political activism world and got involved with a couple of nonprofit uh, groups, uh, one called Open the Books, which is a big data project in Chicago mm-hmm. focused on government spending, helped build that out to a national uh, national entity from a state-based C4. And uh, Project Veritas, a close friend of mine, James O'Keefe, undercover journalist, uh, work with yep. him. I'm on the board of the C3, and so help, uh, help with strategy there and some of those investigations. Uh, and then uh, other things, I got involved uh, more with Europe. Um, I'm a Pol- Polish dual citizen, so I was writing for Breitbart for several years about the rightward shift in 2014 and 15 in places like Poland and Hungary, and how that was a harbinger of Brexit in 2016 and the global populist revolution focused on sovereignty uh, that then came to our shores, thank God, with, uh, with Donald Trump. Uh, which we'll talk more about, uh, and then just got uh, involved, back involved in Wall Street a bit with private equity. So then uh, John and I started working together on Maven a little bit and some other projects. And so you know, I got my hand in a in a lot of things, from journalism to activism to uh, private equity investing. And I'm back registered with Finra, Yahoo. Um, oh, yeah, uh, that'll be uh, fun. Investment banking. So you know, yeah. Well, registration. We probably need to read our disclosure at some point. Yeah, I probably <laughs> I feel like I have to do like continuing Ed now, like every four weeks. Yeah. Like is that a thing? <laughs> That's a like, thing. It wasn't that bad in like the 90s and 2000s. But. I was really excited to drop my Series 7. I just don't like the whole regulating, regulated thing is just very, very frustrating. Very okay. frustrating. I okay. feel like I behave right. fine. I just don't want to like fill out all the forms and take all the tests. And well, at any rate, jokey, well, I, I, you know, your career is similarly kind of 
crooked as mine and Burke's at some level, right? And I appreciate that, right? Where people who see opportunities in different places and don't feel. Yeah. I preferred the term sort of uh, peripatetic. Yeah, crooked. yeah, it's better than crooked. <laughs> we're, we're sorry, crooks. sorry. I meant zigzag. Yeah, yes, I meant zigzag. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that's going to be trotted out as uh, yeah. evidence item number yeah. seven. He no, said his ever. career was crooked. That's yeah. right. Like my friend, my longtime co-conspirator. Yeah. Well, hey, I, I got a question for you, Matt. I noticed on your um, Twitter feed you have a um, uh, there's a there's a, a painting in the background. Is that is that Dempsey versus Furpo? Uh, it's a rendition of yeah George Bellows. It's from the the Whitney. Right. It's just that painting always uh, resonated with me. Yeah, you I'm know it's so weird. When, when I was a kid, um, now, I, now you can imagine that the North Carolina Art Museum, or, you know, is not exactly the Whitney, um, or it certainly wasn't back in the seventies. Probably less postmodern craft. So <laughs> well, well, but but you know, for whatever reason, when I was a kid, that painting must have been on loan. Um, and uh, during one of our you know public school field trips and I remember just as a kid uh, being being mesmerized about it. it was like all the dumb stuff and then you had this cool uh, bellows uh, re- yeah. you know rendering of this amazing uh, you know yeah. historic boxing match between yep. um, you know, Jack Dempsey and, and Furpo who I guess Furpo knocks Dempsey out but then Dempsey the story is he climbs back in the ring and knocks yep. Furpo out but it's this awesome yeah. it's this <laughs> awesome awesome um Photographs. Yeah. So when I saw, I was like, "Oh my God, that's Dempsey. That's the only painting, basically, in my life that I know <laughs> by sight." So, anyway, uh, that's cool. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I love the painting, and I love that movement, the Ashcan School, which is the sort of like the the working class background of New York in the in the twenties, right. teens and twenties. It's very yeah. very evocative, and then it of course matched the backdrop on the profile photos. So I was just like, "Okay, there's a there's a an assonance here that works." Yeah, no, it's cool. So, so, so you know, let's. Uh, Hunter Biden's back in the news, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and Matt and I spoke. Matt and I spoke uh, back when it was going on because, you know, he had access to a bunch of emails, which, which absolutely, which I actually saw on Twitter and freaked out because uh, of some of the other people, not even Hunter and Biden, that were in those emails, right? There were some really he was associated with some fascinating characters that I too had interacted with. In, Victor in calls me. He says, "Can you check if I'm in the emails?" i'm just kidding you 23 or 24 podcast listeners <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, i think we're up I'm, to like 100 oh my oh, god yeah. are we allowed uh, to curse on this thing so uh, <laughs> we've done like we, four of them i think we are i think we are allowed to curse but uh so talk how did that happen that's a great story yeah. and and then i want to talk about some of the other characters in there because it wasn't oh, fascinating yeah. part yeah. of uh so, You know, I've carved out sort of uh, unofficially, and this is the new thing, right? You and I have had the discussions why we got involved with Maven. What is journalism? And, you know, this is what O'Keefe is really, you know, a modern day muckraker and a a trailblazer in uh, in digital muckraking using hidden camera. Uh, But the media is so corrupt. And so who are the journalists that people trust? Really, there's no one in the mainstream establishment complexes uh, that you can because they're all partisan narrative setting hacks. Uh, so I've kind of carved out, especially working with O'Keefe and working with other groups and just doing my own sort of activism, guys like Jack Posobiec, Mike Cernovich, sort of the same milieu, uh, where we have built followings based on our rhetoric, our admission that we stand for something that we're, you know, politically active as opposed to, you know, CNN that says just the news, we're just the news, you know, the most trusted name in news with the James L. Jones, uh, you know, vocal overlay is is such bullshit. We all know that it's, it's nonsense. Um, so I've kind of carved out, uh, uh, just a portion of the sphere that I'm engaged in and I cover stuff just and I work for no one I just work for myself and I really do it more as a sport I have no one paying me to do it and this uh I'd actually worked with Peter Schweitzer in previous years, and I'd done a lot in Central Europe, and I was kind of like the main right-wing guy in the U.S. covering Poland, which is major NATO ally, sixth biggest economy in uh, in the EU post-Brexit, the largest uh, economy in the EU, not on the euro. So a kind of an important place and a place I'm very strongly connected to. And, and so I'd worked with Schweitzer. Wasn't your dad a big um, uh, That's why, yeah. Right. He was an anti-communist dissident in the right. uh, 40s, 50s, 60s, uh, much older. 2020 was his centenary because of COVID. Uh-huh. The celebrations both in the U.S. and Poland weren't as robust as you know, I'd like them to be. Hopefully we'll get another bite at the apple in 2021 to, to make up for that. Uh, but so I've been going back to Poland a lot and I've been, uh, I actually know Peter Schweitzer uh, for years for, you know, I'd written for Breitbart and I'd done stuff with Bannon. And uh, 
So Peter Schweitzer, actually, when he did uh, Clinton Cash, I distributed it in Poland. I put up billboards during the NATO summit uh, of Clinton Cash so that Barack Obama and 27 member uh, heads of NATO member heads of state had to drive back, Clint, drive past Clinton Cash billboards. I launched it July 4th, 2016. Uh, and I was just, it was just trolling. In fact, I told Trump about it in December of that year. And he, he said, that was epic trolling. And I said, yes, it was. <laughs> Uh, billboards cost me a whole bunch, but it was worth it. It was pure sport. I got to get a harumph from Madeleine Albright at the NATO summit in Warsaw in, in, in late July. Uh, when I said to her, when we were taking a selfie, I said, have you seen all these Clinton cash billboards? What's that doing here? And she just harumphed and walked away. <laughs> lovely, lovely, lovely woman. Very reminiscent of the crypt keeper. Crypt she, keeper she, she, she was in our movie. She was betting on zero. She was in betting on zero. She was, yeah. she was, she was supporting Herbalife, did an entire yeah. testimonial about how good <laughs> Herbalife yeah, was. Yeah. Oh, it's just unbelievable. I mean, yeah. She's a total fraud. Uh, so I'd worked with Schweitzer on a lot of stuff. I had gotten Clinton Cash on Polish television. I uh, And then uh, he wanted to do some investigation to Burisma. And so we worked on it in Ukraine. So I kind of worked on the ground in Ukraine, uh, working with the team there to kind of pierce the corporate veil. So I was in the uh, the profiles of, uh, of uh, corruption and secret empires books on the Burisma stuff. And so because of that visibility, I actually met somebody in Chicago years ago, just very circuitous. I'm a networker. I just meet a lot of people. I talk to a lot of people. I keep contact with a lot of people. And this guy reaches out to me in the middle, just out of nowhere. And, uh, and I'd say early, late September, it was late September. And he says, Hey, Matt, you remember me X, Y, Z. I say, sure. He said, I'm with Bevan Cooney right now. And I said, Bevan Cooney, that name rings a bell because he was mentioned multiple times in the Schweitzer uncovering of Hunter Biden's activity, you know, his, uh, his business partner who I went to jail. And uh, when uh, when Devin Archer did not go to jail, Devin Archer was like the ringleader. His name comes up in every Hunter Biden shenanigan for years. Uh, he was the mastermind of before Hunter Biden, the working with Christopher Hines and founding the uh, family office uh, carve out uh, special investment vehicle, uh, Rosemont. Uh, uh, Rosemont was the name of the uh, Heinz family uh, ancestral estate outside Pittsburgh. Uh, ah. It's the Wickley, or a very waspy area. Uh, Pittsburgh right. knows the waspy areas uh, in, uh, in outside Pittsburgh. And uh, so it was originally Christopher Hines who Archer was working with, and then they started migrating to Hunter Biden. And so Bevan Cooney was one of the business partners, and I recognized the name, and I said to this guy I know uh, from Chicago, who always was kind of like, uh, you know, on the fringes, you know, he had a special Chicago way about him, and I deal with a lot of people from a lot of a lot of uh, milieus. And uh, he said, "I'm in. I'm I'm in the joint with Bevan Cooney, and he wants to go public with his emails and what he's got." And I said, "Cool." And uh, <laughs> he said, like, "Yeah." Uh, I was like, fuck yeah. Uh, so uh, I get on the phone with Bevan Cooney. In fact, in, when I was on Laura Ingram, they used an image that I screenshot of, of me talking to Bevan Cooney uh, on my on my handheld on my iPhone. Uh, and we, we just kind of connected. And I said, I'm absolutely willing to go through. I don't know what you have. I don't know what's going to be a smoking gun, what's going to break through into the narrative and the news cycle. But I will absolutely dedicate some work. And I got a, a signed authorized statement from him that I permission with his login credentials to go through his Gmail. And then I, you know, they knew that I knew Schweitzer and they said, you know, uh, would Schweitzer be interested in this? I said, absolutely. So I called Schweitzer. I needed actually more research capacity as well because we were going through, uh, it was like 27,000 emails. Dude, I offered. Hmm? I, 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 I DM'd you that night. I was like, let me help you go through those emails. I, yeah, you, we all have Come our on. name, Thorne. <laughs> uh, you know, Sorry, I, keep I, going, keep going, keep going. I, look, I'd worked with Bannon a lot of things, and, and I knew what he had coming, and I was really trying to keep it siloed. Because really, when people ask now, uh, post facto, what was the scenario with uh, Hunter Biden during the election? You have to break it down. There were three tranches of data, of information, that were of public interest. There was the laptop which uh, Bannon and Rudy got under somewhat questionable provenance. I'm still not <laughs> sure about this uh, story yeah. about John Mac Nelson with the Mac shop or whatever this guy's name is. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a, yeah, that was a little questionable, but they, they got it. Yeah, anyway. they got it. And look, I'd already, I verified with, you know, Intel people and people in DC that this, whether no matter how they got it, the stuff on the laptop was authenticated. 
this was right. Hunter Biden's hard drive, and this was his. Whether it was a clone of the hard drive by you know uh, the Russians, it wouldn't have been the Chinese. The Chinese have the biggest uh, incentive to get Trump out and Biden in. We talk about COVID, you know, and then get this thing banned from YouTube. Uh, <laughs> you know, even even an alternative theory about you know bioengineered weapons out of a lab in Wuhan during an election year. That's you know maybe a little too close to home for uh, Susan Boyitsky from YouTube and uh, the Google the Googleplex. Uh, but the uh, the three tranches with the laptop, uh, Tony Bobolinsky's firsthand prima fashion. Peter Schweitzer was uh, involved with Tony as well, talking to him and trying to figure out what was there and getting him to come forward uh, and getting him to Tucker. Uh, and then the Bevan Cooney stuff. So it's three separate tranches. Obviously, the laptop shows you the depravity of Hunter himself. Bobolinsky's got firsthand evidentiary testimony. And, you know, right now we're having a debate on what is evidence. Is testimony evidence? The media says no. But meanwhile, 99% of murder convictions are achieved through witness testimony. That is, in our system and in the old English common law system that our system's based on, uh, a sworn affidavit or sworn statement under penalty of perjury is evidentiary. That qualifies. Uh, so Bobolinsky's stuff was pretty damning, talking about meeting Joe, being knowing that he was referred to as the big guy or the chairman. Uh, yeah, we talked about Bobolinsky a little bit uh, a couple couple podcasts ago. Yeah. 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 yeah as, uh, amazing. Yeah. As uh, as Jack Posobiec calls us, he calls us the uh, pierogi squad, you know, all the Pol- <laughs> Polish Americans involved in this. Because I brought in, uh, Jack's a very close friend, and I brought him in to, uh, uh, to air the first tranche of of, of storyline uh, in, in the Bevan Cooney emails. For me, this is the biggest story that hasn't gotten the biggest press. Laura Ingram's been good. She, she's put a lot out uh, on this. I've been on her show multiple times talking about it, which is the money laundering for Russian t- mob-tied crony oligarch Maria Baterina. Uh, I mean, this is uh, Ron Johnson and his uh, Senate investigation, uh, Senate Homeland uh, Committee in their investigation. They exposed that there was money changing hands. And then I exposed the depth of it, uh, you know, that they were getting her banked in the U.S., that they were helping her. Like, what was Hunter Biden's value add? It was the last name and then to work with a bunch of shade balls who can move 200 million or more of her ill-gotten gains as the construction oligarch for Moscow married to the Moscow mayor. Uh, And I've got stories from my friends in Moscow on the ground uh, that everybody knew that her office was down the hall in City Hall from her mayor husband. And that's how she built a construction business. So, you know, there was an order of operations. Public, uh, public tender be damned. We got a public project and we just walk it down the hall to the mayor's wife. And then, you know, the paperwork is done and she gets a, a nice big contract. And she was also, and this is one of the things in our sort of uh, OSINT uh, uh, research that, that Schweitzer and, and, and his team and myself did, that we had that Batterina was on an OFAC watch list. She wasn't formally sanctioned, but she was on a watch list because uh, one of the uh, Putin tied Kremlin banks, I don't know if you remember Renaissance or one of the banks, uh, Spurbank, Spurbank, which is like the dirtiest yeah. bank of Putin. Uh, Spurbank was a uh, major holder uh, over 5%. I think it was 7 or 8% of her construction company. Uh, so she was on a watch list because of this, Spurbank being a sanctioned mm. entity, her company being uh, uh, being held by Spurbank in, in part. Uh, so meanwhile, she's trying to get money into the U.S. Now, she left Moscow. Uh, she right. had been uh, she'd escaped to London because shit went south with her husband. And at that point, it was uh, Medvedev's relations. I think Medvedev was nervous that her husband was going to be making a play uh, and ahead of Putin coming back in. Right. So, so was she laundering money or investing in their scam or yeah. buying influence? Like what was her? Yeah. All, all, all was the doing? above. All the above. So she was she she reached out to Hunter Biden and their partners to get her a bank account in the U.S., preferably at J.P. Morgan. Now, we all know as finance guys, J.P. Morgan's got one of the largest private banks in the world. It plays yep. a private banking game much like the Swiss do, like the old Swiss model. Uh, UBS, CSFB, uh, the bank, uh, Julius right. Baer, the old Swiss banks that really do everything for you. Some of the banks in London, Casanova, similar model, like the old merchant bank uh, model, uh, but they have scale. J.P. Morgan's the largest banking balance sheet in the world yep. after HSBC. Uh, so Great she service, full Morgan. disclosure. I use J.P. Morgan. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. use Citibank. I hate them all. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I need to like move to a Florida bank. But so she, she you, did. Now, are you talking to to Devin about or, or Bevan about this, hmm. or are you getting this out of his emails? Is he telling you what they were trying to do? What, I, I talked to him a little, out? and he gave me some breadcrumbs. Uh, him and uh, my my sort of go between the guy I knew 
who put us together, sending me screenshots of stuff that they had that they had saved going through and saying, here are the breadcrumbs, follow these pathways. Because 27,000 emails, 10 years plus of Gmail activity wasn't right. easy. On an abbreviated cycle, I was working 20-hour days, as was uh, Peter and his team, going through the stuff, to putting the other research together to tie it together and, you know, run out about half a dozen stories related to China, Russia, yeah. Kazakhstan, Ukraine. We'd already kind of flogged that apple. Uh, so we'd already kind well, of you know, what, Ukraine what, very well. What grabbed my eye that you didn't focus on? And I, look, I just... As a short seller for 20 years, I've looked at bad guys, and I know that bad guys hang out with bad guys, right? And that's oh, totally. kind of your basic law, and you, fa you follow the bad guy ring, and you find all kinds of stuff. Sugarman, Delanis, we know right. all about it, right. but it's October right. 15th, two weeks ahead of an election, and nobody in America knows or gives a fuck about Sugarman or Galanis. Trust me, I know we right. could write a book about Sugarman and Galanis, yeah. too. I mean, Jason Galanis, we talked about it. He's, so Galanis was, was discovered for me by one of the researchers we hired at Dialectic for two years, a guy named Keith Dalrymple, who went on a personal jihad against Jerova Financial, got death threats. Like the guy was, they, they tried to destroy him personally. He actually lives over in Eastern Europe also. Uh, and he outed the Galanises. And so all of a sudden here I see that name in there and I'm like, yeah. oh my God. Oh, no, <laughs> this is terrible. Way. These are just terrible people terrible. everywhere. And he's his... now in jail. He got sentenced to jail this year, right? In oh, September. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole well, I mean, he's, he's had a uh, long love affair uh, with the uh, with the law uh, in California with, uh, what was that bank they have? Bank of California, BOC. Well, that's Sugarman, though. That's not Galanis. Galanis is Drova. Well, yeah, but no, but uh, Galanis was advising Sugarman very closely, and his brother was CEO, so Galanis was deeply involved with those guys as well. In <laughs> fact, uh, when 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 it was touch and go on J.P. Morgan, and they were starting to make overtures to Morgan Stanley to get that arena uh, banked in the U.S. and get that money into the U.S., get it, you know, cleaned, uh, they were they said, well, at least we're backstopped with uh, Sugarman's Bank, Bank of California, and that was a Galanis email. So he was oh, deeply involved with those guys. His father was – look, all the Bank of California stuff that went down him and his father because his father was also which is uh, an entire other short jihad that's been going on for years with a bunch of short sellers on twitter if you go look up bank of california oh yeah, yeah. Like, no, it's no, been, no. it's I mean, been a look, war for years look the board i've read i read through the court docs i read through uh the the board minutes that were that were public i read through uh all of the uh the sec filings on bank of california to get more context uh and i mean it was a crony boondoggle being run by the sugarmans and the brother was a the brother his older brother jason sugarman's older brother was ceo was a total patsy the guy was a yutz i mean sugarman was really like uh, the younger sugarman uh, and galanis were like the ones who were saying oh let's let's put money in here and here and fund our friends deals and basically i didn't even know like galanis was in bank of california i yeah, missed yeah, yeah. that uh, I mean, it was, they were running it, they were trying to run it like a private bank when it was a public bank, public right. bank, which right. was, I mean, and the board was like, I mean, I look at these board so, members, they were well, all so, like, so oh, what? So what happens? I don't want to, so what happens? You, you expose all this stuff on Laura Ingram and then nothing? Then just no, goes, well, no, I mean, a lot, I mean, a lot, there's a ton, is, tons is there, of web, webs of stuff. I mean, I've been talking to Ron Johnson's uh, uh, committee staff and investigators, and I'm what I'm pushing for. I mean, they got a lot of media press. Of course, at the same time, the second we launched on Ingram, Bevan Cooney gets removed from his, you know, cushy uh, Sheridan, Oregon, uh, you know, work camp adjacent to a real prison and gets moved to the real prison into solitary. Uh, so there was some follow up there that it was, mm. you know, they say it's just like uh, he got visible. So it's for his own protection, but it looked highly retributive. Uh, right. and there's been some further issues with that that I'm still kind of dealing with uh, because he's supposed to be released by now, but he's not being released. Uh, so we're still mm. and I get uh, I get hit on Twitter all the time. What's going on with Evan Cooney? What's going on with this? It's like it doesn't make right now. It doesn't behoove me to go public you know, very visibly with this stuff. It's like trying to figure out with lawyers and what the situation is. But there's definitely, you know, Biden comes in, you know, we got to we got to help protect Bevin because my view is the guy's a national a na a national hero. I mean, he was a month or month and a half away from release from serving uh, 13 months out of a, a 30 month uh, sentence. Uh, in a very easy, low security facility. Uh, and by the way, the, it's interesting that he was the one who went, who was sentenced. Uh, Devin Archer was tossed. It turns out that's his judge, uh, Ronnie Abrams. Uh, she was an Obama appointee, close to Loretta Lynch, from a family of uh, DC and New York leftist lawyers, uh, hard dem uh, partisans and, and party members. And uh, she went to law school with Hunter Biden and were friends. And she said, when she dismissed Devin Archer's case, you can read the transcript. My worry is that you might be innocent of these charges. Well, 
Nobody who's looked at any of the evidence thinks Devin Archer was anything but the ringleader of all this. And Bevan Cooney was a guy who was a club promoter in L.A. who got mixed up with them and made some bad decisions, but was hardly a mastermind of this. He was he was like the party guy. I mean, he was friends uh, with right. like uh, Hollywood types. He ran uh, Viper. And, and he's and he's the only one that went to jail. He was the only one who went to jail at that point, and he was sentenced for up to 30 months or so, but with uh, mm. pro- possibility of early release at 13 months. And th- uh, 13 months, uh, by the way, Supreme Court says it may issue opinions and argued cases Monday. Okay, that's interesting. I'm sure my spy puts are uh, <laughs> going down without me there. Uh, but she uh, she threw out Devin Archer's case, and uh, – and it was obviously cronyism. She knew that if Devin Archer was convicted at that time, the blood splatter would hit Hunter. It couldn't. It couldn't not. So and so Devin, and so let's so we get, so we've got that right. Yeah. And then now we'll go to your other now we'll go to your other career or your other one, which is Project Veritas, right? Right. Well, and, lots of stuff going on. and they uh, explode. And they expo- go ahead, Burke. But I mean, no, the uh, CN and stuff was really. Yeah, no, I just I just it? thought that um, so I mean obviously you've done a ton of homework on all this stuff and so my question would be, you know, what is what where is this going? Does it go anywhere? What are your goals to um, you know disseminate this information, try to get it out there? And what are the forces that are holding you back? And I guess that sub that segues into you know the the you know what is Project Veritas? I mean, as folks that have you know I was an equity analyst for twenty years and have did a lot of homework on a lot of things, and John's had a very similar. Uh, background, you know, then tell us about the role for a something like a Project Veritas and and you know its place in our you know discourse. Uh, well, it's you know modern day muckraking. Muckraking. Mm-hmm. I mean, the muckrakers at the turn of the century and the period after the uh, the Industrial Revolution uh, were exposing the excesses that the establishment was in bed with. Uh, the establishment at the time was the urban uh, city machines, like in uh, especially New York. You know, you look at Tammany Hall and the, the periods of machines that came out of that, and Boston, Tweed, Boston, Philadelphia. By the way, places where there's a ton of voter fraud. Shocker. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chicago. Uh, and so you had these great journalists who were, you know, I, we can have a big philosophical debate about the Industrial Revolution and capital and labor and what Marx wrote and a critique of political economy and Das Kapital. But there's definitely a tension between capital and labor. And I think in the Industrial Revolution, you read Oscar Wilde and uh, uh, I'm not I'm sorry, Oscar Wilde. Uh, uh, who's uh, Charles Dickens, who wrote, uh, who wrote, you know, Nicholas Nickleby and uh, Oliver Twist, and and you see, you know, what the post-industrial Britain was, and and capital was abusing labor, and then you had Teddy Roosevelt, Upton Sinclair, mm-hmm. Upton Sinclair, and I mean, but and these were like indicative of, you know, in the, what he wrote in the Jungle, Ida Ida Tarbell, Lincoln Steffens, Jacob Rees in the Tenements. There was you know, there was certainly a room for social justice when the system was what it was. I would make the argument, and I have many times, that what happened, the pendulum swung too far with the union movement and the socialism that came embedded, not just in unionism, but in, in leftist politics, the progressive era of Bob Fowler, fighting Bob LaFollette in Wisconsin and Minnesota. Uh, but there was a definitely role to play for calling out these, these incredible excesses in the post-industrial era because this was like new territory. Uh, and yep, there were robber barons, sure. and there was an accumulation Absolutely. of love. That was that was excessive by any standard. And by the way, none of our modern day robber barons, Jeff Bezos or anybody else, uh, or those who use capital to make more capital, are anywhere near the scale of the Rockefellers, the Carnegies, in terms of the percentage of the actual economy. Those guys owned 10 to 50 bips of the entire economy. Our economy has grown so much on merit because of the capitalist system that as big as the guys like Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates are, they've created value. And that value is part of why the economy has grown so much that they can accumulate such wealth. And it's still a drop in the bucket in terms of the magnitude of the scale of the economy writ large. So, you know, the, the, the robber barons of that age were different and the excesses were different. So but, back to the muckrakers. But what we've seen <laughs> in, the modern, in the modern journalistic era is from the 1960s on in the counterculture revolution, uh, those who were anti-establishment and young radical activists when they were teenagers or in their 20s in the 60s, they became the establishment on the left. And that means the newsrooms, that means the ivory tower in the academy, that means the political institutional left, the Democratic Party, the unions, uh, the think tanks, and those uh, institutions of uh, elite establishmentarianism. It's the radical activists who run them. And so the journalists uh, that exist are activists. They're partisans. They're run by newsrooms of the guys who used to be in the SDS in 1965 to 1975. 
So that's the senior statesman of American news media. So they're frauds. They're, I mean, they don't even pretend anymore. They're just total fucking frauds. So what James saw was in this sort of post-truth journalistic uh, world that they've created where they're gaslighting all of us. Well, what, what speaks truth and breaks through? Incontrovertible proof. How to get that? Well, we're in a digital age. Everyone's got a phone. He had camera. I remember using, uh, we had in the early years, this like, I mean, this stuff was like right out of like the spy store you would see on the West Side Highway, if you guys remember back in the day. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've been there. Remedial equipment. Oh, yeah. No, we, we, we actually went there. We, we went there for the Herbalife movie. <laughs> we, we have some in, button in, cam. In, in, that's right. <laughs> we, were, we went looking for a button cam yeah. to, go, uh, to go sit in on distribution meetings. To go yeah, sit I've, I've used those button cams in some yeah. of the, some of that equipment is pretty, uh, <laughs> is pretty remedial. I mean, I remember I had a tie cam, and the tie was so ugly, but it was so ugly by design. It was like gold and silver and shiny, so that you couldn't see the little hole where the camera was, because if you caught it a certain way, the light would show a shine, so you had to make the whole tie shiny. I remember I wore yeah. that when I... Uh, when I uh, organized a protest on the streets for Radoslav Sikorsky, the former foreign minister of Poland, and I, uh, I, uh, I taped him like just cursing. It was fun. Oh yeah, and he had to go up. The, he had to take the uh, what was it? It was a locked door. He had to go up there. I can't remember if it was an elevator, but it was it was like a secured room basically where he had all these cool toys yeah. basically. Yeah. And, uh, spy store. Yeah, spy store. And um, <laughs> and it was this. None of this made it into the film, obviously, because I'm a moron, and we decided it was much better to have professional filmmakers do this than uh than a couple of yahoos um but uh but no that that's, that's awesome stuff we did have some good yahoo footage though but so yeah. back to uh so so great incontrovertible incontrovertible proof and you guys have done some amazing videos or kevin certainly oh, yeah. has and this and year's been been a been a big year i mean i mean with the, the ilhan omar uh her family and staff working a voter fraud ring in uh, in her district in uh, in Minneapolis, which is now, actually now I, I have a community. I have a question. Yes. Are you just looking at the left guys to show all the fraud they're committing, or would you bust any fraud? We bust, if you we saw bust it? any fraud. Uh, it just happens to all be the lefties. <laughs> it, 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 you know, there is a there is a uh, an asymmetry there. Uh, the left is built on fraud. The right is built more on conservative values. Look, I'm a righty, so I'm, I'm maybe I'm talking. It's about fine. It. I'm, I was but, just I was just curious because you know betting on zero where we're going after Herbalife, it was kind of weird. What where I didn't really realize there were political delineations in the multi level marketing right. world, but there certainly were. Yeah. Uh, and and frankly, they've kind of shifted over time because it really just depends on who's buying the politicians. And MLM yeah. is really based on political corruption. Oh, you would never get it. Yeah, uh, it's a protection we have gone after some righties. I mean, we had Jim Stensenbrunner, who's uh, like a 20-term congressman from Wisconsin. Uh, James did a, uh, a video where he was lying to his constituents about uh, something Obama was pushing, and he uh, he had been uh, taken over to you know the uh, the Obama side in the House at the time, and uh, he was just lying to his his con in a rural Wisconsin area. They were Republicans and conservatives, and he was just lying to them. So we aired that. Mike Elliston, Wisconsin, as well, was the uh, state Senate. Uh, majority leader, we caught him on tape. He was Republican, caught him on tape uh, trying to create an illegal campaign funnel funneling entity, a C3 or C4, uh, and we exposed that, and that ended up forcing his retirement and his sort of like uh, leaving Wisconsin politics in disgrace. More recently, voter fraud uh, in Texas, we showed a operative for hire who was uh, working on the Republican side for a Republican mm -hmm. candidate. Uh, so we are non-sectarian about this, but it just so happens two things. One, there's a shit ton more fraud on the left because they're, they're post-truth nihilists. <laughs> uh, that believe in Alinsky and the ends justify the means, as yep. well as you've got the entire media complex that is focused on if any righty doesn't dot an I correctly on any form, it's the end of the world. But Eric Swalwell is banging a Chinese spy and that gets smothered. And that's really the, that's really the frustrating thing out there is how the media is, is just one, one sided. Right. And, and so great. You have this truth platform that ha that almost has to be the other side because it's David versus Goliath at some level. Uh, with almost every major media outlet, oh, except, totally. and, and Fox now starting to turn the corner. Uh, well, Fox and, is very establishment. So, I mean, Trump yeah. has been a, a pox on the establishment's house. Uh, everything is, uh, is not, uh, you know, the market likes, uh, likes visibility. 
and the establishment likes visibility. And what Trump does does not create visibility for the establishment. Uh, they can, you know, they like lower taxes, sure, but at the risk of, you know, being able to offshore jobs to China and bring down their aggregate wage spend, uh, you know, that's a trade-off they don't like. Mm-hmm. You know, the supply side is, uh, is, is a key component to scaling up profits, as you guys know. That's where the operating leverage is. Can you yep. cut costs quick enough? Uh, so, you know, the, and this is where the right, I think, has fallen down. This is why I'm a, I'm a, you know, I used to be, I'm a Chicago guy who's a free market economist, a Wall Street guy, even a Randian on some level, Ayn Rand on some level. But, you know, I'm a Bannonite on economic nationalism and populism. Uh, I believe that Bannon was right. And Tucker's right when he says, are we a country with an economy or an economy with a country? Uh, you know, some of our uh, Wall Street plutocrats think that we are a economy with a country, uh, but that doesn't really do so well for Youngstown, Ohio, which I've driven through no. and it's totally hollowed out. As AEI, the quote-unquote preeminent conservative economic think tank since the 1930s that was built out of the Great Depression, uh, they've been advocating a race to the bottom in labor costs for the last 30 years. You know, let's get all those jobs to Mexico or China, but that hollows out Youngstown. And that's why, you know, when you see New York City- Ross Perot was right. Yeah, yeah, Ross Perot's totally right. The giant sucking sound. Yeah, he was the first one to to, to make the clarion call. Uh, about this uh, in the early 90s as we start to globalize. And then in and the there, really, there, there really isn't a political party that, that stands for that at some level, right? I mean, Trump's trying to, but he's Trump's not a remaking. political party. I mean, that's why right? he won in 2016 and they didn't see it coming was because he did get the Union Dem crossover uh, vote. And that was Bannon's architecture. And he's, Bannon said, we want Bernie voters. We'll take Bernie voters. They, they, they know what it's like to be in the sort of great mass of the body politic in America and how they're getting left behind by the elite in the suburbs of the biggest cities and the, uh, the central business districts and the, in Bill Ackman's high rise on 57th street. Uh, they know, you know, who's working for the American people versus who's working for their own pocketbooks and their own worldview. Uh, so, I mean, I, I like what Trump did, and this is a, this is an absolute anathema to the establishment, which is why we're seeing America's first coup go on with uh, the collusion of big tech and big media. It's why what James does is so important. What's indicative is this Minnesota expose. Not only did they refuse to cover it, but they said, we made it all up. We've got incontrovertible video proof, money for ballots exchanging hands, admissions and insiders from the Somali community talking about it, blowing the whistle on it. And USA Today uh, has a fact check program that comes right out of both in Society Foundation that Facebook contracts with to do their fact check. And they say, no, 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 this was all made up. Uh, this was, uh, you know, they can't keep their story straight on how it was made up. Was it a bribery? We bribed these people to lie. Uh, we just took things out of context. In fact, we get this guy breaking the law. This guy, Liban Mohammed, who's ballot harvesting illegally. He's got tons of well, ballots. Didn't you have a cop in that one even testifying about it? Wasn't, was there, like, wasn't there a cop in that one? I don't think a cop. I, I felt like people who, who was coming people. forward or some investi- an official investigator, I thought, who'd no, been it was investigating. A, it, was a, it, was a, it was a reformer in the community who ran a right. group focused on reform of some of the bad stuff going on in that community. And uh, so we get this guy, Liban Mohammed on tape, breaking the law brazenly. I mean, they're like not even, not even a judgment call in violation of statute. It's brazen. And so uh, uh, the fo- local Fox affiliate, my Fox 9, hosts him, puts him in a nice suit, and he, they just take his story without getting comment from us. And, se- and he says, oh, no, it was all made up. What we were doing was showing what voter fraud would look like if it was going to happen. And oh, by the way, that money <laughs> for ballots, that money for ballots, that was money going to a sick kid in Somalia. We were, we were doing a charity drive to raise money for a sick kid in Somalia. By and the way, what, the kid's people, name was Ballots or something? Yeah. Well, most of these, <laughs> no, most of these people, most of these uh, Somalis Check the Mr. Mrs. Ballots. Benefit <laughs> of Mrs. Little Ballots. Yeah, send us lots of money for the ballots. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, the, so the problem that, the problem, Talk, speaking of Bill Ackman, so the, the problem that you know we had in the film we made, uh, Betting on Zero, was you know so you got a guy who is not super popular uh, with a lot of people, yeah, and he, he did, sucks. Who did all kinds of homework and makes this presentation, saying it's going to be the most important presentation he's ever made. He thinks the stock will never open again. Lays out you know what he believes is incontrovertible evidence that it's a, py- a pyramid scheme. <clears throat> it's pretty compelling, but there's no. There's no so-called smoking gun. There's no single instance that that would make anybody believe or yes, made, totally decentralized. That made anybody believe that it was like uh, voter fraud. Yeah. Right, and so so you know, by the end of the day, the stock was up twenty five percent. You know, it was the single biggest move in the stock's history. And so you know, at, at what point you know how do you how, how does someone make proof relevant? How does someone make proof uh, matter? And I mean that, that's a, a something that we struggled with. 
uh, that, well, that, that Ackman struggled with in, a, in our film that, you know, I don't think we ever really got the answer for. Uh, that's where incontrovertible video proof is absolutely the thing. And we're in this modern age where everybody has access to it. And we're, you know, PV, Project Veritas, is moving from more undercover deep embeds that take months and months and doing decentralized crowdsourcing of fraud and corruption to expose. Uh, so whistleblowers and insiders. And that's, you know, what we had in CNN. That's what we had in CNN when we, when we hit them uh, a year or two ago. And that's what we have now when we were logging into their morning call. Uh, same thing, like I flipped a guy in, uh, in YouTube and we exposed YouTube and Google uh, doing uh, contravening organic search in favor of social justice. You know, truth be damned, we're going to spread it this way because we have a moral imperative. And so he, you know, we, I worked with him uh, and we did a big story with PV uh, on that. Uh, there, I mean, there's so many. So, I mean, the body of work we've got three dozen undercover journalists who are now becoming also journalists focusing on vetting tips and insiders and whistleblowers. We've got a really good infrastructure. We're, we've scaled up. And so now, and we are the game. I mean, look, when people saw stuff in, uh, in this election chicanery and post-election chicanery, where'd they go? They didn't go to NBC or the wall street journal or, uh, or Newsweek or CNN. Mm. And they went to Project Veritas, the hosts uh, the, the people that, uh, who are counting ballots, the poll observers. How does um, uh, so obviously you know I, I'm assuming that it's not a for-profit operation. Like how does no, it, how, how does it stay in business? Is it just funded through grants? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, it's funded by uh, nonprofit donations mm -hmm. from foundations, individuals. I mean, the majority of our funding is small dollar donations from uh, from people uh, from just you know Joe Q Public who sees the stuff. I mean, our stuff now gets 10 million views. And, and of course, it's throttled on social media. Uh, and there, that debate about Section 230 is going to have to, and antitrust is going to have to persist. And if the coup is successful and Biden is seated, you know, his administration is going to be filled with Facebook C-suite. Okay, uh, so. we, we would be remiss if we didn't at least touch in the last eight minutes that we've got about the coup. Now, Matt has been saying consistently that he thought Trump was going to pull this out. Landslide. Landslide. And he oh, won he a landslide. No, he started with landslide. But I mean, even before last week when we were about to have this, you were still like, no, no, no. We're still going to like, it's still going to get through the courts. It's still going to happen. So, so give us the latest because you're my, you're my political insider and I want you to give everybody a, a heads up. What's your forecast? Uh, Supreme, Supreme Court hears this Texas case and rules in favor. I mean, you can't have, you've got states fighting states. We've got now, I think, 25 states, half the states in the country who are bringing suit for effective disenfranchisement by fraud in these four states. And by the way, and, that, and it really should be expanded. Uh, the, the states we have the most evidence in are Wisconsin, uh, Michigan, Georgia, Pennsylvania, but Nevada and Arizona are pretty bad as well. Maricopa County's a machine. Clark County's a machine. Uh, Trump won Georgia by, in my, my estimation, six to eight points. By the way, Burke, you're in North Carolina. I think Trump won North Carolina by eight or 10 points, but they tried to steal it the same way they did with the Atlanta machine in Georgia. And if you notice, there were ballot drops late in the evening that took the spread down to one and a half points. But Charlotte, Raleigh, Greensboro, uh, Durham, they're not big enough machines. They could do what they did in Fulton, Gwinnett, uh, DeKalb, and uh, Cobb County in Georgia, or big enough to wait. So like what Nevada's was, what, so, what, so the method was just real filling out fake ballots. That's what it was. Oh, it was every form of ballot fraud that has existed since ballot fraud has existed, which is as long as there's been voting. But so, but so you're talking counting, about intentional, stuffing, centralized. This it's, wasn't like, but this has to have been organized from a top force, right? I thought the only way that, that there would ever be a chance of fraud overturn or Trump overturning it is if the software system was itself corrupt, which I can't. You know, I read some stories like the lawsuit that that what's her name filed down in Georgia. Yeah. And then I see other things. So I read her 104 page suit. It was pretty good. Right. But it, it wasn't it wasn't a slam dunk. Yeah. Well, I just, well, what I can tell you incrementally from what I know is that 
the real evidence comes out when they bring it to the highest court in the land. They know how corrupt the system is and that if they start putting out the, the evidence uh, into lower courts, state Supreme Courts, appellate, federal appellate courts, which are sort of mid-level courts, uh, then the media and the courts will go to war with reality. They need to get this into the highest jurisdiction in the land. And this was the play, which is get all these states, their solicitor generals and AGs onto this case because it cannot be ignored. But the Solicitor General of Texas is not signed on, right? Uh, the Solicitor General, no, he is not. It's the AG. Right. Uh, but I, you know, we don't know the personal agendas of everybody. Look, Brian Kemp was a good Republican governor. Uh, somebody uh, I, I, that, I know a lot of people that know Brian Kemp and think yeah. he's a great guy. Yeah, I, I know him a little bit, and I think mm -hmm. I was supportive of him coming in. He was yeah. a great Secretary of State. Mm -hmm. He did do a good job, not maybe good enough. On per I guess you can't do a good enough purging the voter rolls when you got fake ballots being printed. Uh, it, it's irrelevant. So they've got, you know, but when, 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 when but they recounted it, so the recount doesn't catch fake balance. Like no, help me understand they, how they've the recounted it. And it, a, it, you still recount, think you won by eight points. The recount, they, it was the same count as the first count. There was no adjudication of ballots to be tossed. So there was none of that. And there was no right. signature verification. There was no absentee ballot verification on post dates. It was just, we'll just run it through. We'll just run the same ballots right. through the same so system. So if, if you've created, if you've stuffed it with a bunch of fake Addresses yeah, you're just counting the fake shit again. Right. And so, but, and has anyone checked that in any place? No, because- To the, verify because, it. Because the state won't allow it, which okay. actually tells me that there's a lot of people, like for instance, I was on a call uh, recently, New Hampshire. I think New Hampshire, Virginia, uh, New Mexico, Minnesota, and Colorado were all won by Trump as well. Uh, and convincingly, and there was all democratic machine politics playing the same game, ballot stuffing, ballot harvesting, uh, uh, absentee ballots uh, uh, hoovered up in excess of post dates and digital shenanigans with the voting tabulation it, software. You, all you, these said, you said, I think that. Right, You've well, seen evidence that, that makes I've you seen, think that? I've seen evidence in the statistics, the numbers, and some anecdotal, which is truly only circumstantial that mm -hmm. it does not yet hold a court evidentiary standard. That being said, there's enough there that we should be digging into it and then looking for that evidence to bring to that court standard. So what do you think the next, what's the next shoe to drop? Is the next shoe to drop is a Supreme Court hearing the, agreeing to hear the Texas case, putting it on the docket and starting to hear it, which will come next week. And that's why I'm buying puts because the market's not positioned for this at all. They don't, they don't think that it's just, you know, uh, sailing in your, you know, 27 foot Catalina to the, to the birth. It's not, it's going to be pretty rocky uh, over the next three or four weeks. And the VIX is at like what, 22, 23 right now. So, mm -hmm. so I'm buying puts. So... Texas gets heard by the Supreme Court, and the Texas case is basically alleging fraud in in oh, those other it's, states. It's, yeah. it's, well, it's, it's actually not alleging fraud. What it's, it's what, alleging? It, well, it's, it's there's two yeah. there's two there's two things going on. By the way, there's 20 cases. Each of these amicus briefs, you've got counsel from Missouri, you've got John Eastman from California is representing Missouri. Lynn Wood is is uh, doing a case uh, related to Georgia. Sidney uh, Powell's in a case, but you've got right now 20 something cases if you go to the scotus website you can see all the cases that are filed and who the lawyer of record the up counsel is on each of these cases and so there's two forms of cases there's one that's saying fraud and there's one and the texas one is saying this is unconstitutional right. what pennsylvania and right. wisconsin they're did. saying and by the they way, shouldn't have done the been able to right. do the mail-in extension because right they didn't change the, state the, the constitutional right. violation right yeah, and I mean, the legislator wrote it and the right exactly it's a simple separation of powers legislators tasked the legislature's tasked with election guidelines and then the executive branch which is the secretary of state and the governor and the lieutenant governor's tasked with executing that just like this is a subsidiary of federalism the same thing as we have on the national system and look so i read i read that suit i get it and it makes sense and i think they should win and i and i read that and go fine it seems like they didn't follow the proper process of constitutional law and so they're gonna have to throw out all those and and then i go Oh my God! Maybe I should buy a bunch of puts in the S and P. I mean, is that kind of is that like what would you? What would happen? What would happen if that happened? Well, Pennsylvania wouldn't count. Would they do a vote over? Would they do a do over? What? How's that play no, out? What would, what, would, what would happen in that is the court would side with the legislature over the executive branch. The Pennsylvania is going to be representing the executive branch. It's an executive branch role when you get voted into AG, just like lieutenant governor, just like governor. 
the legislature has the right under the Constitution to slate their own electors if they believe it was fraudulent and it was fraudulent. So that's what I think is going to happen is I think that and I think it's beyond just those those four and there's going to be on different grounds. But Pennsylvania, Wisconsin are the cleanest example of constitutional breach. They violated their state constitution. The state Supreme Court is doing nothing about it. So it's up under the federalist system of subsidiarity. It's up to SCOTUS to enforce it, that they violated their state constitution. We have a confederation of states and each of the states has to agree to adhere to constitutional uh, predicates. And that's their state constitutions have to hew to our constitution as a whole. They can deviate on certain things, but not on rule of basic rule of law. And basic rule of law in our system is separation of powers. The executive branch breached the power of the legislative branch. Legislative branch has a remedy, and that will be to slate their own electors in lieu of the existing electors. And so that should happen in all six of these states in dispute. I would then argue we should go for full justice and do this in Colorado, Virginia, New Hampshire, New Mexico, and Minnesota, uh, where, where all there was machine shenanigans in play that swung those. But machine shenanigans is different than they they inadvertently broke the law by setting uh, well, up the absentee ballot system, right? Well, uh, you can you can prove like if for instance I think in Minnesota and Hennepin County we saw the same thing as Wayne County and they were taking an absentee ballots way beyond post dates. Uh, and they were hoovering them up. Look, we exposed voter fraud, and this is what they're doing. They're ballot harvesting. They're just taking right. ballots that aren't theirs and submitting them after they, of course, put forward their uh, their mark on them, so to speak. So I, I think that if a little bit of work is done, you'd be able to prove the same allegation that's alleged in Michigan. And so well, that so, would be worthy of a case. So that's an interesting point. There's, I mean, uh, I'm not a lawyer, um, obviously. The uh, but, but don't we have? Aren't we in a bit of a hurry at this point? I mean, I don't know how much time uh, people are going to have to to you know to build a case, even if they hear it. I mean, they're going to be certified on the 14th. Um, no, please. There have been certifications in the past. The courts can do anything. The courts exist to adjudicate disputes between executive and legislative. And that's what the dispute is. The certification process is a state-based process. Uh, the courts can stay anything. To be honest, I, you know, even though it's said in the Constitution, uh, January 21st, unprecedented stuff does happen and sets new precedent. I actually think that we may not know January 21st. Mm -hmm. I hope we do. Uh, you know, the, the main day that is... Uh, the sort of zero hour where the decisions are finalized, so to speak, is uh, I think January eighth. Hey, where... hey guys, yeah, I have a, I have, I guess my two o'clock call got moved back to one thirty. I have to go. So <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna have to call this one a day because I've got ten people waiting for my fun launch presentation. So this has been awesome, and I'm sorry to have. To we'll, we'll do it again. Like we'll do this. Right. Yeah, no, hey, no worries, no Matt. Worries. This is great, Burke, as always. And uh, I'm sorry that not, I, I'm that bad of a scheduler. That's kind of the way things go on Betting on Zero podcast. All, All right. We did do an hour, so we're good. Uh, I, right. uh, I'm buying puts right now. So. All right. You All guys right. are the best. All and right. uh, we'll see you soon, hopefully. Right. Bye. Later, Thanks, guys. guys. See you, Matt. Thank you for listening to the Betting on Zero podcast. These opinions are intended as entertainment. Any opinions expressed on this podcast by Burke Coons, John Pickthorn, or anyone else are not necessarily Mr. Raymond James. There is no guarantee that the statements, opinions, or forecasts provided herein will prove to be correct. Any information is not a complete summary or statement of all available data necessary for making investment decisions is not constitute a recommendation. Burke Coons is a financial advisor, Raymond James Associates, Incorporated, member of New York Stock Exchange, member of SIPC.